sermon on fasting and I was eating while I was preparing and I thought, is this right? <laughs> and that thought lasted for about 10 seconds. I thought, of course it's right. Of course it's right. I'm preparing. preparing. But this is a bit of a practical sermon, so I wanted to give it a title which was a bit less practical. Defeating the Belly God. Defeating the Belly God. Now, it's, it's not a Christian weight loss program. Does anyone know the reference? Good, it's, it's a reference from Paul. And he wrote to a church, to the church in Philippi. I know I've got a good sermon title when the children see it and say, that's a good one. Um, and he writes this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. It's some strong words. They're, he's speaking about people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their God is their belly. Our bodies are important. Jesus sanctified them when he came to earth. The God of the whole universe lived inside a human body. But they're not who we are. If you've done Bible school, you'll know that we are spirit. In my core, in my essence, in my deepest, deepest me, I'm spirit. With a soul, in a body. And if you just remember that, I'm not going to give the Bible school teaching on the doctrine of man, but remember that, keep it in your mind as we go through this short teaching on fasting ahead of the global fast, sorry, ahead of the global fast next week. So all the Shofar congregations will be fasting and keep this in mind. We're spirit with a soul in a body. And I'm asking you to keep it in mind because when we fast, it involves all three. All three aspects of our being are involved when we fast. And then don't think, don't think that Paul is saying food is bad. Food is good. Every good gift comes from God. I met someone, um, we just had a drink, I'd not met them before, they were a friend of a friend who'd asked if I, a mutual friend asked whether we would meet. And this person said something, there's nothing more pleasurable than a taste sensation in the mouth. Now you might think there is, but it is quite pleasurable. Don't think that the good gift of food is not a good gift. And I just want to give you another reference from Paul just to prove that. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. And Paul says this to another church. So, don't forget, Paul talks about people who make their body and feeding their body an idol, but then he says this, whatever you eat, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That one up there. I think those two are on the same slide. I just wanted you to see the contrast of those two verses. But if not, let me just read them. So Philippians 3, their God is their belly, the idolatry that food can become. But then Paul also says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
So then six questions. When did you last fast? Have a think. You don't need to answer aloud. Think back. When was your last fast? No, I've not done the definition right at the beginning, but we will come on to... Let me just say it now. I'll be on the screen later. A Christian's, Christian fasting is when a Christian abstains voluntarily from food for spiritual purpose. That's what Christian fasting is. Fasting can be medical. NBM means? No by mouth. Prior to an operation, you might see those three signs on your bed. If you see those three signs on in or around your bed, don't let anyone see you eating or drinking. You'll be in trouble. Usually means you're going for an operation and you mustn't have anything. Fasting can be a medical thing. It's not necessarily spiritual. Fasting is not necessarily Christian. Other faiths fast. So what we're talking about this morning is what is Christian fasting? That's what fasting is. When did you last fast? So when did you last choose to go without food? But not just for the sake of it, but choose to go without food for a spiritual purpose. So that's Don Whitney. A few people, lots of people have written on fasting. If you're a bit unsure, then maybe just read a book. John Piper has a book that I think you can get free on the internet. Um, Hunger for God, um, that you could dip into this week if you want to learn a bit more. The last time I preached on fasting was a number of years ago. And I remember the title. It was Fasting and feasting. Now, I don't have time to do both feasting, we'll have to deal with parties another another time. But fasting and feasting, I were, wanted to give both sides of the coin. The problem with a coin, if you don't turn it over, you don't see the whole picture. And there's times when we're called to fast and there's times when we're called to feast. So, the good thing one of the authors I read talks about the disciplined person is the one who does what needs doing at the time it needs doing. The disciplined one, and fasting is a spiritual discipline, it's one of the spiritual disciplines, to know when to fast and to fast. Now if we never fast, when the time comes to fast we won't be able to. And we're going to go through some spiritual aspects and some practical aspects. Fasting is very practical. It's a practical thing. We have a practical God. And there's instances of scripture, in scripture of different people. We're going to just learn some of the principles of fasting through looking at just some of the people or groups of people who fasted. If you want to look at an example we're not going to look at today, Job is a good example of somebody who both fasted and feasted. You can read the story of Job. There's a book that bears, bears his name. Ruth, this week, I think this was asking me to show the names of all our family members in the Bible. And she had to get her head around the fact that Sally's not there. <laughs> not in here. But she, she's also getting her head around the fact that uh, she's got a book named after her. Or rather, she's named after the person who's in the book. So my name's at the top. Why is why has nobody else got their name at the top? <laughs> is what she said. But Job has a book named after him. His name's at the top. It's just before Psalms. Have a read because it's a good example of somebody who 
had everything and feasted, and then it all was taken away. Now fasting can be more than food. We're going to speak today primarily about food, and that the Bible talks about abstinence. Paul talks to married couples in 1 Corinthians about abstaining from sex. He says, married couples can abstain from sex, but three criteria must be fulfilled. One, that it's temporary. Two, that it's mutually agreed. And three, it's so that they can devote themselves to prayer. That's abstaining from sexual relations. When we're talking about fasting, we can incorporate something into a fast, but we're talking primarily abstaining from food. The voluntary absence from food for spiritual purposes. So keep that in your mind as a definition. When was your best fast? Can you remember that? Or your worst? Now sometimes it's hard. It's a discipline. Disciplines are not easy by definition. They're not easy by definition. When was your best and your worst? And if it is nothing that question, I'm assuming that you fasted at least three times. You've got your best fast, your worst fast, and at least one in between. <laughs> now, if you've been in Shofar for a year, you will have had the opportunity to fast for three years, for three times, because every six months we fast for three days and nights. And it's not a compulsion, but just maybe, I mean, we're talking about accountability in small groups and we're going to be doing share uh, evangelism training but just incorporate that there just be accountable within your small group if not I'll say this at the end again I think everybody most people can fast not everyone will fast for three days and three nights but medically speaking or humanly speaking most people can fast for three days you might not think you can if you never have but Believe me, that uh, you can. If you've been in Shofar, approximately every six months, or twice a year, we'll have a three-day fast. And I often joke, but I, it is true, I find it a lot easier to fast in the summer than the winter, because you don't have to expend calories on keeping yourself warm. And I joked because two, I think it was two years ago, Hercules was here for the winter fast and then in South Africa for the winter fast. So we got two winter fasts <laughs> and got no summer fast that year. Um, but uh, some of us find fasting hard, some of us find it easier, but it's a discipline. I don't think it comes naturally to any of us. The most natural thing in the world from when children are young is to do, looking for something edible, <laughs> just do this. Because children explore with their mouths. So they put something to their mouth to explore it. We've got lots and lots of sensory neurons in our lips. Many, many, many. Because we explore, we find out about things with our lips and our tongue and our mouth. John Piper said this, Christian fasting is the exclamation mark. When we say to God, this much, O oh God, I want you. Exclamation mark. I'm not just saying I want you. I'm showing you, God, I want you. And he also talks at other times about needing God. We're saying to God, 
more than I need food, which I do, more than that, I need you. It's putting our body in its place. Remember? Spirit with a soul in a body. When we fast, we're saying to our body, as good as you are, you might not think you have a good body, but it's a gift from God, so receive it as a good gift. As good as you are, I'm putting you in your place, which is behind my spirit, in my soul. Now, fasting's interesting. I, it, it is interesting. I started to do it when I was a teenager. I wasn't very good. I don't think I was very effective as a teenager, but I was at least starting a process. I was at least forming a habit. And then this last quote is a bit more poetic. Again, quite a practical sermon, so here's a poetic quote. Christian fasting seeks to take the pains of hunger. You might experience some pain if you choose to fast for the duration of the three days. It's taking those pains and transposing them into the key of some eternal Anthem. A few musicians, you might like that. You're taking a pain and you're doing something with it. And what you do with that temporary abstinence from food will have eternal significance. Now, just to say, there's lots of examples in fasting. Do a search, word search in scripture. Fasting can be personal, where I fast alone and no one might know. Or it can be communal. Fasting can be private or public. Fasting can be congregational or national. Fasting can be regular or occasional. Fasting can be absolute where you are NBM, nil by mouth. Or it can be partial. So there's lots of possibilities there and we'll just come on to at the end just to talk about which ones this fast is going to be. And I want to just put fasting within its place, the place of fasting within the Christian faith. There's nothing in scripture that says when we should fast. So the period we're currently in is Lent. Talk a little bit about Lent in a moment. There's nothing in scripture that says when we should fast. But Jesus spoke on two occasions and then they're recorded for us just a few chapters apart in Matthew. And he leaves us in no doubt that he expects us to fast. He expects us to fast. Matthew chapter 6 and chapter 9, if you want to take down those references. Matthew chapter 6, the context there is the Sermon on the Mount. So within the context of a longer sermon, Jesus talks about fasting and then in Matthew chapter 9 the context there is an interesting one Jesus' disciples are asked why or Jesus is asked why do his disciples not fast so in the first context the Sermon on the Mount this long sermon this is what Jesus says let me just go to verse 2 Jesus says so when you give to the needy when you give to the needy and then in verse 5 he says, and when you pray, then he gives instruction. 
And then in verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. Verse 17, it's not on the screen, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So we don't question the fact that we should give to the needy. We have a tin at the back that we can give to the charities, the Shofar charities that we support. We don't question that. We don't question when we come to church that we should pray. We expect that. But I think what most authors refer to is perhaps because of a pendulum that swung too far, asceticism, denying the good gifts that God gives us, there was a minimization or even neglect of the discipline of fasting. When you pray, when you give, when you fast. Not if you pray or if you give or if you fast, but when? And in response to the question, Jesus was asked, why do your, it was an accusatory question, why do your disciples not fast? The question came from John's disciples. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Now our bridegroom, Jesus, is currently taken from us. He's not here with us. He's in heaven. So Jesus is referring to this period when the bridegroom is taken away and he says, then they will fast. So in the same way that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, when and not, if, here he says, then they will fast. Not then they might fast, then they might consider fasting. Then they will fast. And it's obvious that that time is now. Jesus is not with us. We're being prepared for that time when we'll join him. We're being prepared as his bride and he's the bridegroom. And she says, Jesus says here, when the bridegroom's taken away, then they will fast. I just wanted to give three problems with fasting. The first is an obvious problem. We get hungry. We get hungry. It doesn't come naturally. But I want to say that if all we do is get hungry, it's not a fast. It's not a Christian fast. If all I do is abstain from food, good for me. But fasting, remember this, if there's one line you remember, fasting is not what we give up. Fasting is what we take up. Fasting is not about what we give up. Lent, what are you giving up for Lent? Chocolate or sugar. That's not a Christian fast. The essence of a Christian fast is not what we give up. The essence of Christian fasting is what we take up, what we put in its place. So fasting is about this, taking the time and the money and the energy and the effort that we would put into food, buying it, preparing it, cooking it, eating it, washing up after it, taking all that energy and choosing to use it for spiritual purposes. That's what fasting is. It's not about what we give up, it's about what we take up. One problem with fasting is that eating disorders are increasing. See, if eating disorders increase when a culture places an incorrect emphasis on the image of body. Now, our bodies are gifts from God and we might want it to be a bit different, but this is the body God's given me. 
it's interesting, I was in Pakistan earlier this month, and when I go to Pakistan, if I carry a few extra kilos, then people tell me you're looking healthy. Because if you're carrying some extra kilos, means you're not food deprived. And if I'm trim, then they'll say you're looking smart. Because their body image is, is different. Now, eating disorders vary from culture to culture, and if you take someone out of one culture and put them in another, they're more at risk because of the prevailing culture around them. Don't fast. And don't do a spiritual fast for a physical purpose. Don't fast to lose weight. What I, what I sometimes do, if I, need, if I want to lose, lose a couple of kilos, I might choose to start after a fast. But I make clear that distinction. I'm choosing this physical goal of mine to lose a couple of kilos after the spiritual fast because that's not the purpose of a spiritual fast. Don't confuse the two because then our motives are mixed and we're unlikely to be successful. I don't want to say either. And the other problem is the one that Jesus refers to in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't fast for outward show. Don't fast for what it might look like to other people. Fasting is between us and God. Now this is a corporate fast. I'll explain a bit more about the fast at the end. It's a corporate fast. We're doing it together. Fasting together is a good thing to do. It's, it's an easier thing to do because you're not on your own. But fasting, in its essence, primarily, is between the person and God. Fasting is a spiritual practice and therefore it's between us and God. Before we look at the practicalities, let's look at some principles. Let's just learn some principles. There's lots of examples of fasting in Scripture. I had to choose five just for the sake of time. But again, do a word search and, and have a look. You see how many additional purposes you can find. There are lots more. There are lots more purposes to fasting. But I've chosen five. And the first purpose is to seek the provision or breakthrough or favour of God. And the reference here is 1 Samuel chapter 16. So Hannah, you might know this story, will, if you have a Bible in front of you, turn, turn to this because I want to look at a few verses earlier on just to explain the difference between the spiritual aspect of a fast and the emotional aspect of abstaining from food, because I think this example shows us this quite well. 1 Samuel 16b, Hannah says, I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli, the priest, answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She, Hannah said, may your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went away and ate, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Now have a look if you've got the Bible in front of you. Just go to verses 6 to 8 and read those. I'll read them also. So verse 6. Because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival. So Elkanah had two wives. Hannah was one. One, the other, had 
an open womb and bore children to Elkanah, and Hannah's womb was closed. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Now, that's quite a dynamic there, isn't it? One husband, two wives, one giving children. We've seen this before in Scripture. The other not. But I don't think that's a fast. I don't think that's a spiritual fast in verses 6 to 8. I'm, I'm, it's just my thought. And I'll tell you why. But I think there's a difference between that and then what we read in these verses. Can anyone see the difference? The clue's right there. Hannah says, I have been praying. That's the difference. Because what's happening early on in the chapter is she's abstaining from food, I think because she has no appetite. That's anorexia. Anorexia means loss of appetite. Anorexia nervosa is an eating disorder which is an irrational fear of weight gain. So people who are thin think that they are not and they have an irrational fear of gaining weight. That's anorexia nervosa. Anorexia just simply means you don't have an appetite. Sometimes when you're sick, you don't have an appetite. It's such as me often like once a week more when I'm sick. So I'm, I'm exercising less and I'm eating more. <laughs> but um, I think early on in this chapter, Hannah has either lost her appetite or perhaps even she's on a hunger strike. That's what I think is happening early on in the chapter. But the difference when we get to chapter 16 is that she prays. She's fasting for spiritual purposes. And then we read, when her prayer is answered... Then she went away and ate, and her face was no longer downcast. I think this example is useful because it shows us an emotional abstaining from food. Either she didn't have an appetite, or she, was, she had an appetite but wasn't meeting it. But in verses 16 to 18, she's fasting. She's praying, she's abstaining from food, and when her prayer is answered, through Eli, it's an interesting story, really. He was quite abusive to her jumped to a conclusion, slandered her. But because she honoured her leader, God granted her, even an abusive, slanderous leader, because she honoured him. I think that's at least part of the reason why God answered her prayer. So remember, fasting is primarily spiritual. Primarily spiritual. It's got a physical component. We don't take food, certain drinks in our mouth. It has an emotional aspect, but it's primarily spiritual. So that's the first purpose, where you're seeking for provision or breakthrough or favour. Having a child is a favour. It was breakthrough for her because for so long she'd not. And it was provision for her because in those days, it wasn't a pension. Your security in your old age was for your children. <coughs> the second purpose is this. Ministering to the needs of others. And this is a, a famous chapter I almost thought to preach from this whole chapter. Isaiah 58. 
Corinthians 3, verses 6 and 7. So God condemns fasting. He condemns fasting for the wrong motive. He condemns a fasting of exploitation where there's quarrelling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. And then he goes on to contrast that with this from verse 6. Is not this kind of fasting, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Now God gives us good gifts and when God gives us good gifts he wants us to receive those good gifts because if we reject the gift we reject the giver. But he does want us to be aware of others who don't have. Now my response to a, a food shortage in one country of the world does not need to be to say that I'm not going to receive the good gift of food that God's given me. But what God says here is, one of the purpose for fasting, and here he says, he's chosen this purpose. It couldn't be any clearer. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? And he talks about loosing chains of injustice and tying the cords of the yoke. So we fast for the needs of others. If we see a need, we can fast for that need. Now Hannah had a personal need and she fasted accordingly and God honoured her. He heard her prayer and he gave her, who was her son? Samuel. He went on to become one of Israel's most famous prophets. Her fasting contributed to that. Her prayer at that time. Imagine if she'd prayed at another time, it would have been a different egg, and a different sperm and then a different child. We wouldn't have had the Samuel we know. God heard her prayer. She, she had a personal need and she fasted accordingly. But here God reminds us that he wants us to fast for the sake of others. And that's just obvious, isn't it, if we think about scripture. Scripture tells us that we don't live for ourselves. So we can see a need that somebody else has and fast for them. Could be your family member, it could be someone in your small group. Someone in your small group needs a job and you choose as a small group we're going to fast for you. Maybe, you know, on the day of an interview, perhaps, or something like that. Fasting for the needs of others. And don't restrict it. Let's not restrict it to people we know, those we don't know as well. What I mean by that is people far, you know, people far. There might be a nation where it's having a tough time, either we're from that nation, or we have a heart for that nation. Fast on behalf of those. Fasting to minister to the needs of others is another purpose to biblical fasting. Now this is probably the most famous example of fasting in scripture. This next one, which is to overcome temptation and to dedicate ourselves to God. Now Jesus was the person in question here. We read Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Has anyone fasted that long? Don't answer. (laughs) It's the kind of hunger there... It's a different kind of hunger to the one we get after one day or two days or three days. It's a kind of hunger where your body has started to deplete your protein stores because you're not taking any in. So your muscle begins to waste. It's that kind of hunger. It's a different kind of hunger. 
And the tempter came to him. Sorry, not tempted. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Overcoming temptation. Jesus fasted. Why? So that he had the spiritual strength. Physically weak. Physically hungry as an understatement. Hungry in the way that very few of us have known hunger. But he was spiritually strong. So remember fasting, putting your body in its place, putting your body back in its place. Get behind me so that the me that is spirit can step to the front. So that Jesus could then take on the one who was to tempt him. This was the beginning of his public ministry. Just before the Sermon on the Mount, just before Jesus you know, had to answer all those tough questions from different people. And this is how his ministry started with this 40 day and night fast. And we're not Jesus, no. But there are others who also are not Jesus who fasted for this length of time and longer. Remember here, Jesus was hungry. He wasn't thirsty. I don't think he would have lasted 40 days and nights in the desert without liquid. He was hungry, not he was thirsty. Here's another female fasting. And her name's not Hannah, but drop the H's. Hannah, good. Luke 2, verse 37. Luke 2, verse 37. She, Anna, never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Fasting is worship. I'm pleased that this sermon comes after Sifiso's sermon last week. Sermon on worship last week, sermon on fasting this week. Fasting is worship. Fasting is an aspect of worship. Praying, fasting, giving, it's all worship. So it's clear here, she worshipped night and day. How did she worship? She worshipped by fasting and praying. Was there a specific reason? We don't read of a specific reason. We read of it as a habit. This is what she did. Anna fasted and prayed. Now, she was just fasting as a lifestyle. When I said just, she developed. She's quite old by this point. She was either 84 or she was a widow for 84 years. Maybe it's a bit easier in that respect. Whether she had children, we don't know. Children, it can be hard to fast when you're feeding children. Because they still need feeding. And the children aren't here. And it was one, the, the interesting thing is, children have a natural egocentrism. So when they're a certain age, they don't even notice that you're fasting. But then they get to an age, and then they realize, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm fine, but why are you not eating? And I, I don't have an age where, you know, it's right for a child to fast. I started when I was, I think, in my early teens. I don't think that's out of principle. I think children need to learn to feast before they learn to fast. That's, so they, you let them learn feasting first, and then when they start to ask questions about fasting, but I, I don't think it's something that has to start by a certain age. I, I don't know. We don't have a church policy on it. Down to you, parents. Um, 
you pay this to you. It's it's not easy the first time you do it, and I remember you know a bit of bravado. Oh, I can do that. I can do that. Oh, you know, um, twenty four hours and wanted to just go to bed so I don't feel the hunger <laughs> as a teenager. Now I, I don't think my fast was particularly effective when I was a teenager, but it was some just forming a habit, forming a habit that now is part of a lifestyle. It's an expression of worship to God. Now we don't read we don't read that. Anna was fasting for a specific purpose, and yet, yet, because she was in that place of worshiping God, she was one of those to whom God chose to reveal this Messiah as a young. So, an unforeseen benefit. It was just a lifestyle. It was her worship. Her worship was one of fasting and praying, and she was one of those chosen. The other one, Simeon, wasn't it? Simeon and Anna, chosen by God to receive. We read early on in the chapter, Simeon took the baby in his arms. Anna, she came up to them, she gave thanks to God, to Mary and Joseph with Jesus. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. God gave her a heads up. Before Jesus started his public ministry, while he was still a child, she was able, because of that place of just being in a worshipping relationship with God. What does worship mean? It means, God, everything I have and everything I am is yours. And therefore I'm going to give it to you. We were singing it earlier. I surrender all. That's what worship is. The surrender of who we are and what we have to God. She gave thanks to God. She spoke about this child. God gave her a heads up because she was a faster. She was a worshipper. And then here's another one, and, and John Piper calls this fast the most significant fast in Scripture. And that's quite a claim, because there's some significant fasts in Scripture. Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14. I think it, I, I, I'm not going to disagree with him um, on this. What Paul and Barnabas did was as part of the body, they practiced fasting and praying. They went away and they perpetuated that practice. And that's given rise to the church that we're part of today. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. They laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them off. And then they were sent off, read through chapter 13, they were going to different places, chapter 14, and then towards the end of chapter 14, we read, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord, in whom they had believed. This is how the spiritual practice was perpetuated. It's how Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas were sent, and when they were sent, they went to different places. They went to Lisbon, they went to Derby, they went to Antioch, they went to Iconium, and they perpetuated it. It's something that is not a one-off. They were commissioned this way, and then they commissioned others that way. It caused the spread of the church that now includes us. So remember those five principles, to seek provision or breakthrough or favour, 
to minister to the needs of others, to overcome temptation, to show our dedication to God. This is a simple one, and as well, just worship. Simple worship. It's an act of worship. And then a specific commission. Now, it's coincidence that our tea is going to Utrecht just a couple of weeks after the fast, but it's, it's a nice coincidence. It's one thing we can do. We can pray for the congregation in Utrecht as we're fasting. We're going to choose some congregations that we'll pray for. But if that's a coincidence, but it's a good coincidence. I think it's a nice you know, God coincidence for us. Now, our fast, as mentioned in the announcements earlier, just a few practicalities. It's from Monday the 5th till Wednesday the 7th of March. It's a communal fast, it's not a personal fast. We're doing it together. What does that mean? It means if you need to fast for a personal reason, then perhaps choose another time. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray for personal needs. Of course you can even pray. You'll have more time to pray than ever, because we won't be eating. So pray for as far and wide as you can. But it's communal. It's come from Shofar, support centre from the apostolic team. These are the dates when we're fasting, and so we're fasting. Now, there might be a little bit of regional variation. There will be because of time differences. But what does it mean? It's practically... When you go to bed on Sunday night, then remember not to eat on Monday morning. And then we will break our fast in a combined small group on the Wednesday, but we'll give you details. So it's communal, not personal. It's public, not private. You don't need to hide the fact that you're fasting with us, because we're all doing it. Now, I said earlier, we may not all do it. That's fine. There's no obligation or compulsion. This sermon is not about trying to encourage more of you to sign up to the fast. It's not. It's so that all of us can become more aware of the practice of fasting so that we can have an effective fast. It's communal, not personal. It's public, not private. It's congregational, not national. We've not called the nation to fast. We've just called the congregation to fast, as we as a congregation have been called, as have the other shofar congregations. It's regular. Now, it's usually every six months. Six or seven months, it might vary. And it's partial, not absolute. There's no encouragement upon you not to drink. I don't know anyone, some people might, but I don't know anyone who doesn't drink water during the fast. Um, now, there's an instance in scripture where Esther called the people. She's also got a book named after her, Ezra Nehemiah Esther. And she called the people, in chapter 4, verse 16, she says, she said to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maid will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king. So it's there, but that's not what we're calling you to do. It's not an absolute fast. Please drink water. Please drink water. I'm not saying God doesn't do that because it's here in the scripture. Esther did it, Esther called all the Jews in Susa to fast, not to eat nor drink. Remember this, fasting is about what we take up, not what we give up. So don't, don't fast to lose weight. It's, it's, um, it's not a Christian fast. And what, what should we take up? Well, prayer is the first thing. That's obvious from the 
experience and the examples that we give in Bible. We just like, take the opportunity to maybe, how long do you have for your lunch break? Half an hour, an hour? It varies. It used to be an hour, didn't it? But um, it did used to be. But I mean, often it's not now. Um, but even if it's just half an hour and you're not eating, take the opportunity to maybe read through a book of the Bible in that time is one suggestion. Worship is another. Rest. Well, not like I did as a teenager. Sleep so that I don't have to bear this. But just have some rest. And have lots of water. And even have some exercise. I put, they put non-competitive exercise. Well, one time we had a three-day fast and myself and another staff member um, played a game of tennis. It wasn't very good. On the third day of the fast. Um, it, but we, you know, we, we had fun and we weren't too competitive, thankfully. Um, but go for a walk or get some fresh air. Um, it's good to give your body a rest from eating. Land is made to produce food, but it's good to give the land a Shabbat. That's what the Shabbat principle is. And it's good to give your body a rest. And then I've just written here, it's there. Uh, if you take a lot of caffeine, you might want to give up a few days before. Now, I, um, I've had two caffeine withdrawal headaches in my life, and they were awful, horrible. I didn't even realise. Um, we used to have a, a coffee shop type. People could drop in and have cakes and coffee, if you remember that, in the old church office in Rage Park. And I get to the office the next day, and we had this large coffee filter thing. And I just finish it up, you know, heat it up in the microwave. But I'm, I was, without realising it, drinking concentrated coffee because it, it, it evaporated overnight. And then we did a three-day fast and it finished on the Sunday. And um, got to the Sunday evening service and my head was banging. I, I'd never had a headache like that in my life. Um, and, uh, and then I, I realised if, if you do have caffeine, it It'll be harder if you have a headache like that. It'll be harder to focus on the purpose of the fast. So you might want to consider giving up caffeine a few days before, then you get that out of the way while you're still eating. So you don't have the caffeine withdrawal while you're fasting. Okay, the motive matters. The motive is for God. That's why we're fasting. Now, you know, the apostolic team of Shofar have called us to fast so we're fasting, but it, we believe that's come from God. So the motive is for God, but the man is important. So we, we fast discreetly, so we don't need to go and tell everyone, but if you eat with people usually, it might be considerate to tell them that you're fasting, because otherwise they might think you've offended them, they've offended you, this person's not eating with me anymore, what's going on? But if you're children, it's interesting, just... They're young, just watch the age when they begin to notice that mum or dad isn't eating. Because it's a good sign, it means that they're losing some of that natural egocentrism that comes with being human. If you're pregnant or you're best breastfeeding, you'll need to consider the little one. If you're ill and you're taking medication and the medication says, take with food, take with food. <laughs> if that's what the medication says. Um, I'm a pastor, I'm preaching, I'm also... I'm also a doctor. If the medication says, take with food, then take with food. It's not a compulsion. Don't forget, it's not about what we give up. It's about what we take up. And then maybe it, this, there's a week before we start 
fast. If you haven't fasted for any period longer than 24 hours, you might want to consider just, um, again, ask someone, ask you to speak with your small group leader, maybe even they could even join you, just to do a 36-hour fast this week, just in preparation. Because if you've never fasted for 24 hours and then you fast for 72, it might be hard. Now, it's not necessarily, it's, some people might find it easier than others, but it, it might be something to consider doing this week if you've never fasted for longer than 24 hours before. But speak with the small group leader about that. And you might well lose a few enzymes. Um, you've got enzymes in your stomach that help you to digest the different food that you take. But I know when I fast for a few days, I, I lose a few enzymes and then the food that I break fast with usually <laughs> um, but don't worry, those enzymes will come back. Those enzymes will come back. I, I mentioned my my fast was a teenager, um, and and they weren't. I don't think they were effective. I can't remember that I had any breakthroughs or other people had breakthroughs. But it did just start me in a habit. A while back, I was, I was on a waiting list for removal of my gallbladder. And um, a well-meaning friend, who's a Christian doctor, thought that it might be because I was fasting for three days or so, and noticed I was doing a few of these fasts. And 15 years on, I've still got my gallbladder, and I'm still fasting. Now, it's just a personal story. Fasting is significant. There's spiritual significance to it, and the enemy knows that. So expect a little bit of opposition. I think that's what that was. You know, I did have some symptoms. I, I, I remember I was in a hospital as a um, student doctor trying to learn, but I ended up being taken to the emergency department because the pain was so terrible and being put on the waiting list to have my gallbladder removed. But I'm still still here, 15 years down the line, with my gallbladder, and I'm still fasting. Now, take your health into consideration, but don't underestimate the spiritual significance of fasting. We've seen these examples in scripture. Esther's example, the whole nation was saved because a woman called a woman who was a queen called a three-day fast and a whole nation was saved. Jesus defeated the devil. Anna saw Jesus and had a revelation. Hannah was given so Paul, Saul and Barnabas were sent and then they sent others and the church has grown and grown and grown. Don't underestimate the spiritual significance of fasting. It's huge. Huge. Disciplined people are those who do what is required when it's required. Mm. And if you're in shofar, I wouldn't say it's required, it's not a compulsion. It's not a compulsion, please hear that. But we, it's just something that we're doing together. It's something that we've done over, I think, since the history of shofar. And we've had these global fasts for the last few years. I don't know if you've been watching the Winter Olympics. Some of those Olympian athletes are immensely disciplined. They probably do much more disciplined things than these. I remember um, it's a Scottish cyclist who's now retired. Chris Hoy. Yeah. Chris who? Hoy. Chris Hoy, yes. Yeah. I remember him saying that um, he, he wouldn't go to the corner shop for some milk just to preserve his legs. New Year's big in Scotland. 
he wouldn't be drinking with drinking alcohol Hogmanay because he's disciplined because he had a goal in mind of this Olympic medal and he got one again and again and again I forget how many again he was disciplined disciplined people are those who do what is required when it's required and he knew that a time would come in his life where he doesn't need to live like that anymore where he can spend how, how many calories does it take to walk down some stairs and buy some milk it's not a lot but he's saving all his energy he's saving every single calorie why? to train why? so that he can perform in such a way as to get this prize the Olympic athletes with that kind of discipline but remember, Olympic medal might last a lifetime. It might outlive the person and they can hand it on. But the outcomes of our fast can be sweet music that makes an anthem that lasts forever. We sang this earlier, Sophie Saw, whoever like to join you. I'd like just to maybe sing. This is what we sang earlier. I'm singing you this song. Remember, singing is an aspect of worship. Fasting is an aspect of worship. I'm waiting at the cross. All this world holds dear. I count it all as lost. Food is quite is held quite dear in our culture. People will spend a lot of money on food. People will give a lot of effort and spend a lot of time on food. It's held quite dear. Why? Are we willing to count everything as lost, even three days of food, for the sake of knowing you, for the glory of your name? Why? To know the lasting joy, even sharing in your pain. It will be hard, especially if you've not done it before. I want to say this, it's a bit like any kind of training. The more you do it, the easier it gets. And it's not easy to hear if you're, you know, if you're starting out, but it's true. The more you do it, the easier it gets. I'm singing you this song, I'm waiting at the cross. All this world holds dear, I count it all as loss. Why? Why do we count everything as loss? For the sake of knowing you, for the glory of your name, to know the lasting joy, lasting joy, longer than an Olympic medal. Even sharing in your pain. There's a way in which we'll know God through pain and suffering that we cannot know any other way and it, it will get easier but don't expect it to be easy if you've not done it before mm. speak with your small group leader be encouraged don't if, if you don't don't pretend that you have but you know pray 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 if you're on meds and you're eating food that's God understands that it's not about what we give up it's about what we take up I believe God has stuff, not just for this congregation, but for Shofar. He's got things he wants us to take up. There's things he wants to say or do. Maybe if we can just sing that, and then we'll close. It's a corporate fast, but just take a few time, just as we sing this, just to commit yourself, even if it's to make your decision. Have, have, I don't know if you've not considered it, maybe just consider it now and for the rest of today. Thank you. I'm giving you my heart and all that is within. I lay it all 
sake of you, my King, I'm giving you my dreams. I'm laying down my rights. I'm giving up my pride for the promise of new life. And I surrender. Pray for strength for those who might be daunted by the prospect of a fast. 